Welcome. My name is Mark, and uh, man, I don't know about you guys, but singing these hymns, welcome to the Grove, oh man, it's Christmas time, man. I, uh, I, I gotta admit, this is just recently, I've, I've had this thought a lot, and this is just personal. Man, I love my church. I just love it. I, uh, and, I, and again, I don't mean the building, I mean, it's the church is the people, right? And there are just some incredible people in this room, and um, uh, you know, we had the Grove uh, staff and Elvis Christmas party uh, this past uh, Friday, and I just every year I'm like, man, I just I just love these people. This is just fun. Uh, we start talking about Christmas, and you know, instead of your normal Christmas message, we <laughs> talk about Leviticus last week, right? We're talking about uh, somehow Christmas, and we've got animals getting killed and blood being splattered all over the place, and what. Welcome to the to Grove at Christmas time, man. I mean, you you just gotta love it that we don't do things normally. In fact, I've got this new term I've been dropping a lot lately. Like, we're gonna do something, and then I, I've decided we're just gonna say, well, we gotta we gotta grovitize that a bit. You know, we gotta do do what we do to that thing. And uh, when we start talking about Christmas messages in December, I think I don't know if it was last year, the year before, we were taking these different Christmas songs and we were breaking them down. And I don't know if that was rich for you guys, but it was huge for me. And now, like that song we just sang, that was the, the one that I worked on a lot. And I, now it's, it will never be the same for me. Uh, it makes me think about those lyrics and what they mean in a deeper level than I ever did before. And it's just cool. It's just new insight, just kind of coming at it a different way. And so here we are rolling through this December. And instead of talking about those passages that we would normally talk about, we've gravitized it a bit. And, and we're talking about these passages that are much earlier in the scriptures that are painting this picture and this foreshadowing uh, of the event that we celebrate. And, um, and a lot of these, some of these you may be familiar with, some you may not be, like Leviticus. This morning we're talking about Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I mean, we're talking the earliest possible moments. And already we have this foreshadowing of what's to come, which to me, if we didn't talk about anything else, I could keep this really short this morning. It's just, it's just incredible that right at the fall, when sin first enters the picture, God meets it with his mercy and a promise that he will restore. That foreshadowing. Uh, just to kind of set the scene for that, you know, foreshadowing, I know everybody uh, took, you know, seventh grade English, but... But foreshadowing, I think the official definition, I've got it here, you know, a warning or indication of this, this future event that's coming. And, and I love that. I love stories. So I, I love the way in stories foreshadowing will be used to kind of paint the picture of what's to come. I love it in films. Uh, one of the, the best directors that does this, anybody know who it is? M. Night Shyamalan. He, uh, he's got several films where he uses this, this idea of foreshadowing and you don't see it coming and then all of a sudden it hits and you're just amazed. Oh, man, I should have I should have seen all of those glimpses before. And now here it is. Uh, one of the earliest films and one of probably the most well known, The Sixth Sense. Right. Anybody seen The Sixth Sense? If you haven't seen The Sixth Sense, 1999. So I hope I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. But but uh, <laughs> you've got this uh, this child psychologist and he's trying to help this kid. He's got this problem. He says he sees dead people. And uh, you go through the whole film, and you're really feeling for this kid, and you're kind of caught up in the story. 
And, and I don't know, maybe you're a lot better than I. Maybe you caught all the clues ahead of time, but I, I totally missed them. And so then you get down to the end of the movie, and all of a sudden it clicks and you realize. And they, they do this in, incredible job of then, real quick, these different scenes and pictures. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, oh, oh I, sh- I, sh- I should have seen all these things, and I missed them all. And now, oh, yeah, he's dead. All along, Bruce Willis was dead, and I thought he was alive, but he's not. He was dead. How did I miss that, you know? Um, I've actually got this one scene I'm going to show you, and uh, it's early in the film, right in the beginning of the relationship between uh, Malcolm, the child psychologist, and Cole, the, the little kid. And, um, and I, I saw an interview with M. Night Shyamalan where he says, we, we debated on this scene because it was – it wasn't cryptic. It was too straightforward. I mean, it tells you what's happening and gives the whole thing away. And so he said, I don't think we should do this because everybody's just going to leave the movie. Like, oh, already it's over. It's done. The whole point's ruined because it's too straightforward. And so he was amazed when they released it with this scene and nobody caught it. So watch this real quick. But but listen to what he says if you think about it for a second. Here he is. He's looking at him. He says, "I see, I see dead people. They're they're, they're not in gray. You know, they're they're walking around like like regular people, like like you are right now, uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, they don't see each other. They they only see what they what they want to see. They don't know that they're dead. And then all the time, even." I mean, it's, all, it's laid out for us, and we miss it. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of these passages that we're going to go, go through uh, through this December. They're like, it was, it was screaming at you. It was yelling, hey, this is what's coming, and, and we missed it. And so, again, here, here we are. We're in Genesis chapter 2, and, and there is this. And I, I really, I mean, how many of us, you know, went to vacation Bible school and, and got this story, right? I mean, if you didn't get many stories, you got the Adam and Eve story. And the big point that's really going to come out today is the fact that they're naked, right? 
And so that's the story we all remember is the awkward moment at Vacation Bible School with the flannel graph, right? And so, so you, got, you got this story, but I missed it, that in this very story, God paints this picture of, of what's to come. So let, let's start out here, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. And this is, you, the, man, the woman has not been created yet, just, just the man. And God comes to the man and he says, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, the reason I kind of emphasize the free is because uh, some of the things we're going to see today is just true of human nature. And it's true, I think, of, of you and of me and the way sin enters our story and the way that we, we let it come in and some of the misconceptions we have and that the enemy tells us about who God is and how he works. And this first one is when you read that command of God, it sounds, you hear blah, 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 you can't eat of the tree. And we miss the you are free to eat of any because we get so caught up in the but there's one that's forbidden. Isn't that crazy about us? We want that thing that's forbidden and miss all the wonderful, beautiful freedom that we have right here because of that, that one thing. I, uh, I, over time, spent some time in, in airports, and it's one of the things that I noticed there is, you know, when you see those airport lounges, anybody ever felt this? You walk by, they always do this incredible job of frosting those windows over and the doors so inviting. And, you know, there's some, always the people back behind those desks, and they're, like, inviting you in, and people walk in, and they're like, man, what's, what's that there? Got to be something good back there, because it just looks like if you're really cool, you get to go, but you know that you can't, because I don't have that special thing. So, man, I wonder what's back there. So, so one time, I was on this, uh, this trip, uh, my boss and I, and, um, and we missed dinner that night, and we had to rush to the airport, and we got all the way to the gate, and we just assumed there would be a restaurant there, but we got to the gate, and there, there wasn't. There was just, you know, you could just pick up some little bars at the snack shop, and, but there was a lounge. But we didn't have access to the lounge, but we walked around for a minute, and we decided, you know, what, let's just ask, you know, what does it cost to get into that lounge? Because our assumption is behind that frosted glass and that cool door and those people and that wall that there was this, you know, five-course meal, you know, which is going to be this incredible thing. So we go in, and they say it's 50 bucks a person to get in, to which I said, <laughs> we walked out, and I said, well, whatever. I'm not paying 50 bucks to go in. But we walked around for a minute, and he looked at the granola bar selection and decided, you know what? He said, come on, let's go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for this for us. And we seriously walked around the whole place, like looking, where's the, where's the food? And there wasn't any. And I, I looked straight at this dude, and I was like, man, <laughs> no shame in my game. Let's go get our money back. And he said, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. 
hate is like, you know, I feel of, of cheese and crackers, you know. <laughs> and I feel like an idiot. But I learned that day that that thing, it was, it was that draw of what, what's behind that glass? What's so special that it's back there? Uh, I kind of wish I had never found out that behind there wasn't really anything special because now, now it's like the whole thing is gone. There's not really anything all that special back there. There's something about that. And so when we see this command uh, to Adam, it's you can, you're free to have anything. But, but not this, this tree. Don't take from this tree or you'll surely die. So then uh, God creates the woman and he says in verse uh, 20, 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, in getting ready for today, this is one of the things I really picked up is that nakedness is this huge part of this story. It's not just kind of the, the awkward part of it because that is a Bible story. I mean, this it's it's a big part of what this whole thing that happens here, because you've got them they're naked and unashamed, and then and then after the fall, now they feel shame over their. That's the immediate thing. They they feel this shame over their nakedness. Now, we've got uh, a little four-year-old boy and a little four-year-old girl in our house. And Jack and Darcy, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that they have bathed alone. You know, this is just the way we do. You just have kids. Things are to get ready for bed at night in our house is, is you got these, these two in the bathtub together, right? And, you know, for the most part, in their innocence, there hasn't even been any recognition that, that I'm a boy and you're a girl and you're a girl and you're a boy. There has, you know, now there's been a few awkward moments where uh, they noticed that they had different equipment. But, you know, they just, most of, and, it, and, it, and it's, that's, man, it's pretty funny when it happens. But most of the time, it's just, you know, they're just, they're just there. And in their innocence, they're, they're naked. Now, now there is going to be a point, right? They're not going to be 17 showering together. There, there comes a point where that's not true anymore, where that innocence is lost. But there, there's something beautiful right now that, that that innocence is there. And it's hard for us to even imagine because, you know, I mean, it, what's one of the first nightmares that you have of, you know, wake, picture yourself, you're going to school and then you realize you're naked and how ashamed and afraid you are that that could possibly happen. And here we have Adam and Eve. And a huge part that we have to recognize, they are naked and they feel no shame. So this whole idea of the knowledge of good and evil, they are free of the knowledge of evil. And fear and shame are not a part of their story. How amazing is that? The thing that God has protected them from, this thing that this experience that they don't have, Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, first of all, this serpent, I mean, now we always picture the snake, but we know the after the fall, one of the penalties is that the, the serpent loses its legs and has to be in its belly. 
So one, one just again, an interesting fact to me. So uh, evidently, this serpent had some legs. It was counted among the, the beast of the field, the wild animal. And something else that I just think is wacky. Uh, if I was going to tell a story right now and I was saying, hey, I was camping the other day. We went for this hike and there was a snake. And the snake said to me, and I told you about the conversation that I had with the snake on my hike. You would go, what? But we read this story and we don't go, what? I mean, does Eve not think it's a little bit strange that the snake starts talking to her? Okay, well, there's no point other than I just think that's really weird. So the snake talks to her, and she doesn't go, what? But she just, get, it, you know, talks back. So, and, and this is what the serpent says. He says, did God really say? He, he starts to question, is, is this, can this God be trusted? And is he really, is he really this unreasonable? Did he really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Any tree? He just said one tree, right? Just that one tree. He said, no, we can eat of all of them. We can eat that one. So this is what the enemy does. He comes into your life, and he's just he's one click off. You know, the, the worst lies are the ones that are closest to the truth. And that's what this is. It's, yeah, that, there is a tree we can eat from, but any is not true. And that, that statement and that, that question that he puts into the mind of Eve, is, is he that unreasonable? And she answers him. In verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, No, we, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, is that true? Did God say you must not touch it, or did he just say you can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? Now, one thing I think is really interesting here is that the command, remember what I said was given to Adam and Eve had not been created yet. So who communicated this command to Eve? Adam. And we all know about the communication between husband and wife, right? Of course, it was crystal clear. Now the enemy comes to her, and as she begins to say it, now I wonder if she goes that extra step because now she's questioning and she's acting like God is a fuddy-duddy, or if when Adam said it, he went ahead and put the extra, don't even touch the tree, you know, just to make sure that she kept her distance from it. If we even touch it, we're going to be in trouble. You know, this is also what we do with the commands of God. We, uh, God may say, hey, this thing is not, not bad in moderation, but it's bad in excess. But what we'll do is we'll take that, and this is the reason, uh, you know, church and, and, you know, and followers of Jesus sometimes get a really bad rap because instead of doing what God says, we'll say, well, if, if, if a lot's bad and a little bit's okay, then none is even better. And so we'll say instead of you can you can get close to it, you can touch it, you just don't eat of it, we'll just go ahead and say you can't even touch it, which is not what God says. Uh, Terry had this really interesting, this has been some years ago, but she was talking to these girls who were all really passionate about wanting to follow Christ. And they were all newlyweds. And this is just crazy to me. And I, I still even when I, when I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, man, I just can't even believe this happened. Uh, but these girls were saying, man, you know, we really 
in our relationship, we really sought purity uh, with, our, uh, with our husbands all the way through the dating process. And, and now we're married, and we assumed and made this decision together through this pact that if, if it pleased God for us to be pure until our wedding day, then it would make him even more happy for us to uh, wait to consummate the marriage until our wedding. talking about but that's where this goes oh oh well if, it, if that's bad then let's just go ahead and add more than what god says we don't need to add more than what god says god said you can be in the tree you can have any fruit you can but just don't just eat it don't eat it so now uh eve has begun to to take this lie and has has gone another step and then in verse four the uh, the, the serpent says you will not certainly die. Now he's just straight out calling God a liar. No, you're not going to die. He said, this is what's going to happen. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened, now knowing good and evil. And so what he's going to try, God's trying to keep you in the dark. You're not going to, he's a liar and he's trying to keep you down. He doesn't want you to be light bearers. So he's, he's trying to keep you away. So now he has thrown every, every possible question that she could have about the goodness of, of her God has been, has been put on display. So, in verse 6, Now the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her. This dude's been there all along. He's been standing right there. At any point, he could have said, No, 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 that's not what God said. Don't you remember, girl? I told you at any moment he could have said to the, to the snake, shut up, go on, we don't need you. At any moment he could have spoken up and he sat there in silence and let the whole thing go down, fellas. What a coward. But we just laugh about it. We communicate horribly to our wives and then we just stand by and don't stand up. You know, we, this, this picture of these two together, sin against God. And then what happens? 3 verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened. And now what did they realize what was immediate? Oh man, we're we're naked. <laughs> now they realize. But what do they do? They they sew fig leaves together to make covering for themselves. They try to uh put makeup on it. They try to cover it up with the things that they made that by their own hands, by their own power, they try to make a covering that is not sufficient, that doesn't do the work. Which, by the way, is what all religion is. You know, we, we know we have a sin problem, we feel the separation from God, and then we try to do a lot of good stuff to cover all of our sin up. But it's, it's insufficient. There's a, a death, right? Charlie was talking about last week. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. There's a death, a penalty that has to be paid. And our good works don't do anything to help that. We need something bigger than that. We need God to come and make it possible for us to be made right because we can't do it on our own. And their first attempt with these little fig leaves is a joke. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't do the job. And so then God comes and he, uh, he, 
gives all of the, the, the penalties for the snake and for the woman and for the man. And we don't have time today to go through all of those different things. But um, in verse 7, he says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. I'm so sorry. Uh, verse 9. But the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? He answered, uh, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I, so I hid. And so God is in the garden with them. They're, they're hiding because they're afraid. And he says to them, who told you you were naked? And then in verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me. So the woman did it. And furthermore, you did it because you're the one that put her here. Blame. Then she gave uh, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. It's the serpent's fault. Then uh, in these uh, condemnations against them in verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is this is to the serpent between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I will put this this tension between the two of you. Between your offspring, talking to the serpent, and hers. Who who's the offspring of the serpent? Who are the children of the devil? You're not gonna like the answer. We are. In fact, in uh, in First John chapter three, it says, "Anyone who doesn't do what is right, anyone who chooses this path of sin, those are the children of the devil, the offspring of the evil one." The ones who have followed this lie and have turned our backs on God. Who is the offspring of her? It says he, somebody specific. The enemy, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. You will uh, cause a blow, but he will bring the death blow. This is the first picture of the gospel. This is the first picture of the sister's brother that's coming. The one that's of her, not of them both, because vir the virgin-born son of God, who will be struck, but will in turn, in that very moment, bring the death blow upon the evil one. Is that not crazy? I mean, we're talking moments after the fall. This incredible God comes to them in mercy and in this promise of the redemption that will come. Moments after. I mean, you would think that he would just smite them and wipe the whole thing clean and start over. But no, that's not the God that created them. This God is so full of love that in that moment, he's already making a covenant. And then a, a little bit later in uh, verse 21, it says that the Lord God made garments of skin for, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He had to sacrifice an animal, the first uh, animal that's killed, and take that skin and clothe them appropriately because now 
now blood has been shed and there's been a sacrifice. Another picture of this Messiah that's coming. The moment after the fall, y'all, this is crazy. Um, week before last, I got to uh, go to Thailand and be with uh, a lot of drovers who are living in India that uh, came out of India and they were in Thailand for a time of training and encouragement, and I got to be with these folks. In fact, I've got a picture for you here. I tried to bring out number about 80, uh, 90 in, in that training, but uh, I put some arrows there so you could see all the drovers. And I, c- I bring good news back from them. They're doing really well, and um, they, they love you guys a lot. And, and, you know, as I was coming back, I was thinking about them. You know, th- at, this, at this deal, they had some Christmas decorations and some things like that, and they played some Christmas music. And I was jumping on that plane to come back. It was really it was like four days of travel for three days to be with them, and it was really hard to fast. And I, uh, on the way back, I was just excited to get back to be back here for December and thinking about what it was going to be like to be with my family over this month. And then I realized, oh, yeah, they're not coming back to be with their family this month. You know, they're, they're going to back to their home that's 8,000 miles from my family and in a place that Christmas isn't really celebrated. And there's none of those reminders and music playing. You know, it's just it's whatever kind of tree they can come together and, you know, kind of build that, that feeling in their home. And... Uh, and, you know, I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's really sad. I mean, we, we lived overseas for a while, and I know that that's just a really that's a hard thing. And that's a really hard thing that we're going through. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it just doesn't make any sense. It's hard. If it's not true. It just, it, it just seems not true. If, if, if Christmas isn't this incredible declaration of a God who would do this, then it's the sacrifice that they're making doesn't make any sense at all. It's foolish. But if it is true, that at the moment of our sin, this God meets it with his mercy and grace, and he provides the appropriate sacrifice, and that the virgin-born Son of God is the Messiah, who can set them free, and there are parts of the world that don't know that, then the only appropriate way to celebrate Christmas is to proclaim it, right? I realized when I thought about that that, no, these friends are celebrating Christmas in a way that, that some of us will never know to proclaim this good news. So I don't know. I don't know if you spot the foreshadowing when you studied uh, the Adam and Eve story as you were growing up. I don't know if you ever realized that even that early he was painting that picture of what was to come. But, you know, as we go through this this month and if you really start to study it on your own, you'll find out that it's just again and again and again and again. These pictures painting for us this anticipation the one that would set us free. And so if you do anything today, in these next few moments as we sing this song, if you do anything this month, please, please 
Let your praise and your worship and your recognition of your brokenness and how incredible this God is that he would meet you there and make the sacrifice that only he could. And the striking of the heel that he could crush and crush. I love you. Let me pray for us. Father, I I ask you that, that you would give us a new clarity a new passion for this claim that it, it wasn't like you got caught off guard and then made some plan on the fly, plan B, but that you were meeting us in our most uh, desperate and other moments. You were meeting us with all of your, uh, with all of your beauty and your fame and your power. Father, I pray that we will give you our worship and praise as the only one that can set us free, the only one that can protect us from the things that we need not know but want. So that we could walk in, in a relationship with you that, that Adam has before, that Adam and Eve had before this, that speak to millions. So Father, thank you for that privilege and I pray that we would experience 